Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Welcome to episode 66 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, joined again by my co-host Mary, a woman whose holiday wish list all includes gifts that have a 10-cent bottle deposit redemption. I am nothing more than an empty box named Darren. Hey, Mary, how are you? Oh my God. First of all, truth about that 10 cents redemption, because that's exactly what we get back for our beer cans here. And I told you that I had that to look before. it up. We only get five cents here. <laughs> We get 10 cents. And you're not, you're not just Darren or an empty box or whatever. Come on. So, so stupid. <laughs> you're the artist formerly known as Darren. Uh, what's your symbol? Like a beer can with a moon uh, on it? Well, yeah, we've talked about this. We, we've been <laughs> paying attention. Anyway, how are you? What's going on? I'm good. How are you? Oh, good. Good. The week is moving right along. It it's is. It's already Tuesday. I know. Already anyway, recording night. Well, okay, nah, it's fantastic. But Zach, so we got a lot of fun things to do. We had a pretty good live the other day. We mm-hmm. had a pretty good strong episode on Spring Hill, yep. which was a lot of fun to do. We thought it was so much fun in Tennessee. We might as well just kick back there for a while and stay. Why not? Right? Stay yeah. on. The, the, you know, the water's fine. The hospitality's fantastic. Let's stay in Tennessee. What do you think? Yep. We talk a little bit about the siege of Knoxville. Well, so hey, we have some fun talking about that today. Well, hey, if the barbecue and the beer is good, why not stay, right? So, that's, oh, exactly. That's why we're Maybe staying in the Western Theater. We're staying there this week, and we're going to be staying there next week too for Nashville. So, all who are into the Eastern well, Theater, so. we apologize. We will get back there again soon. But guess what? Western Theater, 1863 at this time is where it is all happening it right now. Certainly is. And they treat us well. But what what drink is treating you well tonight, Mare? So I am drinking Psycho Thrill Seekers Double IPA by Flying Monkeys. And I'm drinking it out of a mug that John LaRoe from LaRoe Design sent me. And it is for the 1st Kansas Colored Volunteer Infantry. And it is a very cool mug. It's got a quote from Captain William D. Matthews on it. Um, and he was the commander of Company D. So it's very cool. Excellent. Very cool. Very How about cool. you? I'm drinking a beer called Red Zone by Knockabout, which is a local beer here. And I'm drinking it out of my Joshua Chamberlain Restaurant and Tavern coffee mug. Very good. From Brunswick, Maine, up there, not far from his uh, his house and museum. He's got a little place called uh, Joshua's Tavern, which is a good place to go. And I got a coffee mug because that's what I wanted to do. Nice. So speaking of Tennessee, we're going to talk a little bit about the Siege of Knoxville, mm-hmm. which is something that doesn't really get a lot of press because of all the things that were going on, specifically the Battle of Chattanooga that was going on at the mm-hmm. same time. As you kind of segue, it is the fall of 1863, and the spotlight of the American Civil War is really focused on Tennessee at this mm-hmm. point. Eastern Tennessee was basically very important for the Union because of its large number of supplies that Lincoln wanted to keep under Union control. The area, uh, we talk terrain, is, is very mountainous and extremely hard to maneuver, um, so moving large numbers of troops or supplies is going to prove to be extremely difficult to say the least. So over there in that part of Tennessee, after his disastrous performance starring in the role of a army of the commander, army of Potomac commander in Fredericksburg in December of 1862, of course, is Ambrose Burnside, Mm -hmm. who found himself sent west to command the Department and Army of the Ohio in March of 1863. So while William Rosecrans, we've talked about him, Mary, and his Army of the Cumberland is fighting Braxton Bragg uh, in Middle Tennessee during that Tullahoma campaign, Burnside is going to be ordered to march towards Knoxville, ASAFP. He is. And one thing to say about Tennessee is that it is the last state to enter the Confederacy. They did have a pro-Confederate governor, but East Tennessee, where Knoxville is located, has 
has very uh, un- much union leanings. Vote to join was almost evenly divided. The thing with Eastern Tennessee is um, its geography is a little bit different than other areas of Tennessee. Um, slavery is not very widespread there like it is in other areas of the states. And many people that live there are farmers and therefore they don't live that sort of lifestyle that, you know, the slave owners do. Like you think the plantations, like they don't live that kind of lifestyle, right? They're they're having to do the farming for themselves. So it's a different way of life. Burnside is, he's in Cincinnati and he ends up getting delayed because one of his corps has to go and reinforce Grant at Vicksburg. So that prevents him from getting to Knoxville. He ends up sending a brigade under General William P. Sanders, who we're going to be hearing more about a little bit, to strike Knoxville with the cavalry infantry. And he manages to destroy the railroad and disrupt communication around Knoxville. And at the same time as he's doing this, Knoxville is controlled by the Department of East Tennessee, which is led by none other than Simon Bolivar Buckner, who we have discussed in many episodes. August 16th, 1863 is when Burnside is going to begin his advance to Knoxville. He has 18,000 troops. They are commanded by General Lucas Hartstuff, and they move about 30 miles a day in some cases. Burnside is going to be on the left and Hartstuff is going to be on the right. Now there is a direct route to Knoxville and it's through the Cumberland Gap. But as you mentioned before, the geography there is very difficult to navigate and there are Confederate defenses there. So because of this, Burnside will end up sending these two divisions 40 miles to the south and they still have to go over a lot of rugged mountains. But what he does is he sends Colonel John F. DeCourcy's division to threaten the Confederates at Cumberland Gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, but talk real quick about how they come Kind of got there as well. You mentioned those two corps. He's got the ninth mm-hmm. corps and he's got the twenty-third. The ninth corps is one that's still with Grant. So he's gotta wait on him yeah. a little bit. Now William Sanders, interesting dude. So you know I mentioned before he's while Burnside is waiting for that ninth corps, he is gonna send William Sanders. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna have him do that all the same stuff that most cavalry people type do, cut telegraph lines, raid the food king, destroy railroad cars, all the things he's gonna do. Now it's interesting before we get to that point where you talk about when they get down there, but he has a really interesting raid in June of 1863 called Sanders Raid. William Sanders is going to head down there. First, he's going to destroy a well-defended railroad bridge in a place called Loudoun, Tennessee, which we're going to talk more about a little bit later. Uh, it crosses the Tennessee River about 35 miles southwest or so of Knoxville. Eventually, Sanders has got about 1,500 guys, and he's going to go to a place called Lenore Station, which is located within this 2,700-square-acre plantation owned by a family called the Lenore family. Sanders' men are going to destroy much of the area, including a bunch of general stores and Confederate railroad cars. Now, one building that he did not destroy was a cotton mill because the story is it was used to build make union military uniforms but one popular story in that area says that sanders did not destroy the cotton mill because its owner a guy named dr benjamin lenore was giving strange hand signs to the federal troops as they approached the mill it turns out lenore was a freemason and he gave him a sonic sign that was recognized by some of the union guys who instead of destroying it ended up protecting it and thus saving lenore's cotton mill so it's kind of an interesting story with that you know by mid-august to your point burn Burnside's men are certainly on their way. Mm-hmm. They'll march in two columns towards Knoxville. Burnside's going to be in the left-hand column with uh, with, with George Hartsuff. In that 23rd, uh, 23rd Corps will be on the right with him. Now, the two columns are going to meet in a place called Montgomery, Tennessee. And they're going to meet there, and they're going to continue their advance on Knoxville. So that terrain is difficult. And as you mentioned, that they do have to move about 30 miles per day through this landscape. And it's pretty brutal because the Cumberland Gap is probably the only area that is defended. It is. Yeah. So what... So what does Burnside have to do? He's got to go around him, right? He's got to flank it. You mentioned Simon Bolivar Buckner and his department of East Tennessee. They're going to end up getting recalled to go support Bragg. Yeah, there's right? a little thing happening, starting to happen in that right. area of Tennessee. Yeah, so it's starting to rumble. Now, Buckner 
okay, is shorthanded already. And for, he's for sending support to this Tullahoma campaign. And he ends up leaving just one brigade in the Cumberland Gap by the guy, by, under the guy named John Frazier. Mm-hmm. Now, Frazier receives no orders from Buckner whatsoever. He basically is just left. And it's kind of like when your parents would kind of leave you alone in the car and say, you be good, and then walk away. That's kind of what he did. I always left right? the car. <laughs> but that's what, okay. Well, you were, <laughs> what, Frazier was better than you then. But Frazier has a few troops and he has no idea what the heck he's supposed to do. No. So you mentioned John DeCourcy's division and mm-hmm. cavalry under John Shackelford. September 9th, they end up basically getting into a, a scrape, and um, Frazier gonna, is going to end up surrendering. As the summer goes on into mid-August, Burnside is now in Lexington, Kentucky, and he has those 9th Corps guys back, and he's going to start to march back towards Knoxville again. So as we kind of get into the late late summer, starting to en- enter into September, Burnside's going to get into Knoxville around September 3rd, and he's going he's to occupy the city. Now, Knoxville, it was interesting because you kind of mentioned a bit ago it was really 50 50 as far as support universe mm-hmm. confederate but when burnside strolls into town he's a hero at that point it was like the southern sympathizers seemed to control that social scene in the city yeah they were the ones throwing the big parties and it was all this other stuff And the northern supporters kind of had to keep quiet but once burnside shows up those southerners go quiet and the northerners start to take over the town they start having all these big parties yeah. now burnside i don't know if you know this mary but he sucks and he finally goes into this town and he's a hero he's fucking so golden he is, boy right so he has all his problems with fredericksburg the mud marks, the whole deal. Now he's in here and he's being lauded. So he's loving it. So mm-hmm. around this time, you know, Abraham Lincoln is going to send him orders to reinforce Rosecrans, which of course Burnside pretty much blows off. He doesn't, he doesn't even really listen to him. You know, he's afraid of getting up the city probably, but more likely, I think it's because he was so adored by the locals. It was enjoying real, real military success. He just didn't want to leave. So I think he kind of blew Lincoln off. Oh, I think he did too, completely. Because, you know, we're talking about a guy who has come you know, like away from one of the worst Union losses in the Civil War, Fredericksburg. It is a very, very bad loss at the worst possible time for Abraham Lincoln in the Union. And now he's basically adored by his troops, the citizens, and everything else. And of course he doesn't want to leave. And, you know, he... He makes excuses to Lincoln about this. Like, he says, like, it's going to be difficult to move supplies to the mountains, blah, blah, blah. It goes back to this redemption he's kind of experiencing. He also says, like, he has insufficient resources to help Rosecrans out. But meanwhile, he does manage to send him some cavalry for Chickamauga, I think. The other reason, too, is he does not want to give up Knoxville because the citizens are so loyal, right? And it's like, it is a great place for the Union to have in what is one of the Confederate states, right? Like, he knows he's got himself grounded there and if he can hold that that's going to be a lot but i do think a lot of it factors back to this redemption um that he's seeking it's like and you know we've seen this throughout the civil war with stuff you know lou wallace and his redemption and all that right um now that's a little bit different but he's he's the liberator of knoxville in his mind you know and so he's having success now bragg is sitting you know he's focused now focused completely on chickamauga at this point Mm-hmm. And he started to become a little uh, scared of, Bur- of Burnside's presence and his success in around Knoxville. So, yeah. you know, Burnside had that victory at Cumberland Gap, and Bragg's thinking, well, perhaps he could be a threat. So, jump ahead real quick here. September 20th, 1863. Bragg's and Bragg's Army of Tennessee just scores that big victory at the yeah. Battle of Chickamauga, right? He's got two divisions under James Longstreet from the First Corps under Robert Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, who had been sent west to stop that federal push into Chattanooga in northern Georgia, mm-hmm. right? So, so Longstreet, you know, he's out there. Now, following that battle, William Rosecrans and his beaten Army of the Cumberland, they fall back to Chattanooga, 
on a, pl- a trail blazed by George Thomas, who ran 100 miles an hour to get back there, by the way. <laughs> Poor and, rock and of so, Chickamauga. <laughs> a rolling rock of Chickamauga. <laughs> but, Rose, but Rosecrans, you know, he's going to begin to fortify that city. So around this time, Bragg's subordinates, if you remember when we talked about this, they start to chirp loudly about they their do. commanding general, including James Longstreet, who freaking hated him, right? Oh, so, the two what? of them. And honestly, like, I see Longstreet very differently after researching this episode. Like, I've always kind of been Team Longstreet, and I still am in some respects. But I think he was 100% out there in the West because he was hoping that he would get that letter or whatever from Jeff Davis saying, Hey, dude, you're in command now. Well, he, that's Longstreet wanted Bragg gone, and to your point, he wants to be the man. He wants to yeah. be put in charge because he thinks Bragg is completely incompetent. Mm-hmm. They have that revolt that that naturally Bragg, you know, that failed. But naturally, Bragg at this point wants that pain in the ass Longstreet gone. So he's going to mm-hmm. come up with a game plan. He's going to decide to send James Longstreet out of the area towards eastern Tennessee, hoping it's going to divert some troops holding Chattanooga. But realistically, he just wants Longstreet gone. He just wants him oh, gone. Oh, he does. So he petitions Jefferson Davis. He you know, sends, sends him a text, and Davis comes back and says, yeah, go ahead, and orders Longstreet to send his division, 10,000 guys under his, his division commanders, Lafayette McClaws and Micah Jenkins, the guy who took over for John Bell Hood, yeah. speaking of John Bell Hood, yeah. along with 5,000 cavalry and our old friend Joseph the Warchild Wheeler. Yeah. He's going to send these guys to go recapture Knoxville, which had fallen to Burnside's army in September after Simon Buckner had vacated the city, you know, to help Bragg fight Rosecrans and Grant. So the wheels are kind of in motion. So this is kind of a mean girl's game plan where I kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, Grant is going to send some guys to chase him. But either way, Longstreet is out of here. He, he just wants him gone. And so that was it, the that was the ultimate goal. And I would encourage our listeners to read um, "Smoke at Dawn" by Jeff Shara because there is a really great scene in there where long, now it, this is again it's a historical fiction. It's not known as this conversation really happened, but Longstreet is very very bitter in that book and he has a conversation um, with Patrick Claiborne about what happened between him and Bragg. And he is so sarcastic and stuff. And you can see it was just completely this mean girls. I don't like you and whatever. And that's pretty much what it is. It was nothing to do with anything, but they just didn't get along. And Bragg thought Longstreet was moving in on his territory to take over. And that was probably the case. Now, you know, the plan we'll talk more about later on, but this... There's going to be a point where Chattanooga, you know, Bragg cuts off his nose to spite his face because he probably could have used those 10,000 guys yeah. and the 5,000 cavalry, but that, that's not a story for the day. November 5th, 1863, James Longstreet is now moving up the Tennessee Valley to try to get between Burnside and Knoxville. Longstreet's men are going to travel via railroad to a place called Sweetwater, Tennessee, but right off the bat, they're going to have issues by traveling. So the trains, first of all, were late, and many of the men decided to walk. Oh, maybe they hitchhiked, who knows, but they, they, they had decided to walk. It's going to take eight days for Longstreet's guys to march 60 miles to Sweetwater, which is about halfway to Knoxville. Yep. So they're already slow. They finally get to Sweetwater on the 12th of November, but when they arrived, they realized their supplies weren't there. No. They were supposed to get their stuff. So now they're stranded with little food, very little supplies. No DQ in, in, gift cards. No DQ, you know. Um, that car song, Who's Gonna Drive Me Home Tonight? It's probably playing in their ears because <laughs> they're just kind of <laughs> stranded, right? Around this time, Burnside now, 
had fallen back that loud in Tennessee. We talked about where, near, yeah. where Sanders' raid took place earlier in there in June. Now, Lincoln, um, he's, you know, he'd wanted Burnside to move to support Rosecrans in Chattanooga, but, but he decided to stay put. We talked about that. Uh-huh. Now, Lincoln, you know, claims he knew Longstreet was coming, but the good news for Lincoln was that Burnside had no desire to comply with this order anyway, so it kind of worked out for the best. Burnside's going to end up ordering 5,000 of his guys to advance towards Longstreet's advancing army. Now, he knew the best course Burnstreet, uh, Burnside was, was to go outside of Knoxville to fight him outside of the city, knowing that if things got bad, he could fall back into the city. So that's kind of his game plan. Yep. It was actually a pretty, a pretty good one. So a couple of days later, on the 14th of, eight, of uh, November, James Longstreet will cross that Tennessee River just west of Loudoun. So the, mm-hmm. the, the, start, the, the armies are starting to get close. Yeah. Just one thing I wanted to mention about uh, Longstreet going there is one of the reasons he struggled too was because he didn't have any accurate maps available right. to him and what he said about that um buckner was kind enough to give me some inaccurate maps of the country along holston all that he had that was another thing that hindered him um the other thing too is longstreet did object to going to knoxville he felt that uh there was nothing to gain by it and he knows he's going to be outnumbered because he's only got ten thousand men in two infantry divisions as you said mcclaws and micah jenkins and the cavalry under wheeler and burnside had um, 12,000 troops and 8,500 cavalry. So he does feel like this is not a great plan for him. And I also think that Longstreet just doesn't really, like, I don't know how, if he's giving it 100% of his effort because of what happened between him and Bragg either. Well, I think he probably felt he got voted off the island a little bit, yep. I think realistically. Yep. And he, he definitely did not want to go. He wanted to stay. He wanted to command that that army of Tennessee. But now he feels like he's being banished. He got sent away on this fun run with less guys. Maybe he was on some kind of depth march but he definitely did not want to get there but to longstreet's credit he's going to do the best he can so as Longstreet crosses that tennessee river burnside's going to kind of anticipate this move and on the 16th of november a couple of days later he's going to leave lenore and he's going to settle to a place called campbell station now mm-hmm. campbell station was a crossroads that intersected a couple of roads the concord and old kingston roads which kind of was on the way to knoxville so he wanted to get to that intersection before longstreet because if he did he had he could maintain that safe fall back to knoxville so so the race so this way he gets there pretty quick. So he had to race as fast as he could to that spot. He, yep. he raced faster than an unnamed Canadian did up, up, up he Cemetery Hill towards a Howard statue. <laughs> Not sure Burnside had tears in his eyes too. We don't know that. But the whole hey, at least I didn't knock you to- over on the way up there. Oh, God. They're both racing to get to that same point. And the funny thing is, is like, so there's Burnside has to basically force march his men there and he manages to reach there first. But you know who gets there in 15 minutes later is Longstreet. It is that close. I don't know if I've ever read of anything in the Civil War where it has been that close where, you know, one person gets to where they need to be and the other is there within 15 minutes. So what Longstreet is going to do here at Campbell Station is he's going to attempt a double envelopment. So he's going to try and strike strike both union flanks at the same time but as is kind of the theme of this of longstreet you know and this time at knoxville it's not his greatest time in the Civil War at all. Now, the Confederates do gain a little bit of ground and they fight pretty hard, but they end up having to quit their attack because Burnside's men are just, you know, they're able to fight back pretty well. And Burnside is able to get back pretty quickly along that road to Knoxville. That's when you have this quote unquote siege of Knoxville beginning. McClaws did a pretty good job hitting on that, um, 
um, on that rebel left, but it was yeah. really Micah Jenkins kind of screwed the whole mm-hmm. thing up and it kind of, it just, but you know, that plan that he had to fall back was a good one. So while this is all going on, while this is going on, Burnside's going to order the construction of a strong defensive fort back at Fort Loudon again, yes. which will later be called Fort Sanders. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that. So he asked William Sanders to hold off Longstreet long enough for his engineer guy named Captain Orlando Poe to finish construction of this fort, which he tells Burnside is going to be done right around noontime on the 16th. But they're working fast. Now, Sanders is going to, he's going to stay. He's going to basically stay while Poe does all this work. And he vows he's not going to retreat under any cost. Mm -hmm. So if he's attacked, he can protect that fort's construction. So he's going to stay there to the last man if he has to. Now, while this is all going on, Okay, again, the Rebs controlled a nearby house called the Bleak House. Mm -hmm. Okay, this was Longstreet's headquarters. Now, the Bleak House was owned by the Armstrong family, who were Southern supporters and apparently threw epic parties in the area. They were like the big party family. Bleak House? They call, here's the thing. You know why they called it Bleak House? It was in honor of the 1853 Charles Dickens book, The Bleak House. That's I was just going to say, it, it must be that right, reference. Right. And they did it, right. Now, you remember, the Bleak, do you read it? Esther Summerson? Didn't you take high school lit with up there at the uh, Santa's workshop back in high school? Uh, no, I didn't read anything by Charles oh, Dickens okay. when I was in high school. We were at um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. And Hamlet. Well, that's... So they called the Bleak House. It was kind of ironic because it was like a real happy house. They called it the Bleak House because they—that's what—that's how it got its name. I'm going to so, open a club called the Bleak House. The Bleak House. Oh, you fit right in, especially on a Tuesday. <gasps> so on this house, on the, the, the way this house was set up, it had this small cupola-like tower up yeah. there, right? Um, and there were three rebel sharpshooters up there hiding. Now they had those really expensive British Whitworth rifles with the telescopic lenses and the mm-hmm. hexagonal boxes. Yeah. And the bores—they cost twelve hundred bucks a pop at that time. That's how expensive these guns were, right? But they were fantastic. Now, one of them is going to take a shot at William Sanders while he's riding on a horse with one of these guns. And he'll be mortally wounded and he will die a day or so later. Now, the Union's going to retaliate by firing artillery at the house. Um, killing all three sharpshooters in the tower. What's interesting, real quick, about the Bleak House, it is owned today by the Knoxville chapter of the Daughters of the Confederacy, and they, it's available for weddings, parties. There you go. So you, you can still go there. Poe, you know, as this is all going on, Poe's continuing to work on this defense at Fort Loudon. It becomes pretty much impregnable at that point because of the time he, he gets work on it. Oh, yeah, and he does a lot of, um, like, what he does there at uh, Fort Sanders is he basically makes it impregnable. Um, So there's a deep ditch, a steep parapet wall. The walls were icy from the weather. So, of course, I'm picturing, you know, the wall from Game Game of Thrones right now. Um, But apparently they poured water over the sides too. And there's wire entanglements in front of the fort, which were looped from stump to stump. So think like, you know, something you would see in World War One with the trench warfare with the barbed wire, right? Along what was going on in Europe at that time. So Burnside said, by the 20th of November, our line was in such a condition as to inspire the entire command with confidence in our entire ability to hold the place against any rebel force that might be brought against it. But our men still continued to strengthen the lines by every possible means within their reach. So Poe, this is kind of his like, and we're going to talk about this near the end of the episode. Like this is his legacy with Knoxville is what he does here at what is going to become called Fort Sanders. So the, the 17th of November, Burnside's army has fallen back that city's perimeter. Longstreet realizes at this point that an immediate attack is probably not going to fa- it's not not going to work. Mm-hmm. So he decides what he's going to do. He's going to try to siege the city, right? Yeah. So 
the siege is going it, to, it, it does its damage. People think of siege, you think of like Vicksburg, you think of Petersburg. This is not quite like yeah, that. The, the Confederates well, 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 are not really equipped for this because they don't even, as you said before, they don't even have the supplies that they need. And they're running short on them. And Longstreet is waiting for Bushrod to show up with 3,500 men and a cal- cavalry br- brigade that belongs to Grumble Jones. And E.P. Alexander said every day of delay added to the strength of the enemy's breastworks. Well, Longstreet's plan for the siege was short term. He just wanted mm-hmm. to hit them because he wanted to attack on the 20th. He wanted this yep. to go three days and that was it. But to your point, um, he's got to wait for for Johnson. You know, he's probably sitting at some bank barn somewhere, but he's he's delayed, right? Johnson's at In the Grubble. sky. No, he would not be at the sky barn. <laughs> no, not quite yet. In Grumble Jones. So he's, he's waiting and... Everyone knew the longer it took, that quote you read by Alexander is absolutely right. The longer it took, the more that this thing was going to get built stronger and stronger. Yeah. So finally on 1129, okay, the siege basically fizzling to, because to what you said, the, the supplies were low. Yeah. Longstreet got sick of waiting. He says, screw it. It's time to attack. Mm-hmm. So the siege did do a little bit of havoc on the citizens of Knoxville, but it didn't come close, like I said, the severity of what happened with, with Vicksburg with Grant. Yeah. But – but what it does is it does in a town that's 50-50 Union and Confederate sympathizers, they all kind of suffered to a point because they, they still had to deal with it. Now, yeah. Longstreet, what he's doing is he's going to study the ground. He's going to look at the terrain and realize the only logical place that he could, thinks he can break Burnside's line, which surrounds the whole city, was Fort Loudon, the site of Longstreet's initial attack on the 18th. So yeah. Fort Loudon now because of William Saunders getting popped, is now called Fort Sanders. So um, it's just northwest of the city. And since it's, you know, since it was so strong, the Rebs knew they're going to have to sneak up on this at night and attack at first, right at first light, if they have any chance at a surprise attack. Now, you mentioned before the fortress, right? Yeah. It was the Union engineers had, they really made it a, a impossible place to get to. You mentioned those telegraph lines. They, you know, it was almost like barbed wire. You yeah. had to walk across this field, and it slowed everything down. But the biggest, the biggest problem for the Confederates was that ditch. So Burnside's engineer Poe, he basically dug a twelve-foot ditch that was almost vertical to get over it. Now, uh, it was cold, but the soldiers on the Union side did pour water on it to make it freeze even worse than it already was. Yeah. So. Um, the other issue was the, the Confederates had no ladders. Nope. So they had no way. They had to climb up. They had to, you know, they had to squirrel it and try to get the side. Now, <laughs> re, regardless, so at dawn on the 29th, Longstreet's were in position. We're going, right? That assault lasted about as long as it, as long as a six pack does in your fridge. It does not last long. About 15 okay? minutes. About, about, about 15, 20 minutes, exactly. Yeah. So those 11 days since the Battle of Campbell Station, was plenty of time for Poe to, and his men to turn that earth uh, that earthworks into a Union Gibraltar. Now, so this attack, McClaws is going to be the one who's going to lead it, right? Mm-hmm. And he fails badly. He lost that element of surprise because they ran into the federal pickets the night before. It took forever to get past those fields because of the telegraph lines um, that were tied to trees. So you can just see how the whole thing fell apart. Yeah. Now, once they got into the ditch, they couldn't get out of the ditch. They had a real tough time. So for 20 or so minutes, these Rebs are trying to climb the ditch to get to that fort, and they just got pounded. They lost 813 guys, while the Feds only lost just five killed. In 20 minutes. In 20 minutes. So in those 20 minutes, Burnside's men hit the Rebs with musket fire, artillery. They even threw axes at them. Some people may have tridents. Who knows? Maybe there were but clowns. Hit, I don't know. Make it worse than it already was. But 
But the thing is, is none of the Rebs who made it into the fort would leave the fort. They either got killed or are mostly captured. Mm-hmm. But it was a sound, sound beating and pretty much ends it. Any hope of the Confederates having of, uh, all of retaken Knoxville at yeah. this time. So It's been described right, as, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and while this is all going on, you know, just, just picture Longstreet now. He's realizing, well, this this sucks. He learns that Bragg also got his ass kicked at Chattanooga a few days yep. before because um, he got orders to get his ass back to Bragg's army of Tennessee at this point. Yeah, and he's probably like, nope, not doing that. And well, that, yeah. And so this That's is exactly what he said. It's exactly what he said. Nope, I'm not, doing, I'm not nope. freaking doing it. Fuck that. You know, he, he says, he says, no, he's going to hang around Knoxville for a while. He says maybe at the University of Tennessee at a football game that weekend he was interested <laughs> in going to. But whatever it was, he's going to stick around Knoxville. He, he ain't going. So, but the funny part about it was sometimes you stumble your way into good luck, right? Yeah. His decision to stay in Knoxville actually paid off. Because what does it do? It forces Grant to send those 25,000 troops under Sherman in his direction to try to slow him down from doing anything else. So it kind of, it all kind of works into each other. So around uh, right at the beginning of December, on the 4th of December, Longstreet finally decides to hell with this. He bails. He moves towards Rogersville, Tennessee, about 60 miles northeast. He's going to set up his winter camp, and that's going to be pretty much what that was. So it's just, it all kind of works out um, the way it was that him kind of being, maybe being stubborn, did one of, you know, Bragg's plans was maybe, just maybe, I'll get Grant to send guys out of here. Yeah, And he stumbled into it simply because Longstreet didn't want to leave. Yep, and he does, and he sends none other than General William Sherman there. And so on December the 6th, Sherman shows up. He's exhausted, and he's angry, and he's raced there to get there, believed that Burnside is in a desperate condition, because that's how Burnside was actually making it look that he was like, oh my God, you need to get here now or whatever. And he arrived in Knoxville. And by this point, Longstreet has fucking vacated the dance floor. And Burnside is having like a turkey dinner. And he probably like Sherman probably walks in the room and kind of looks at him. And Burnside's like, hey, what's up? Want to join us? Yeah, probably the turkey in the fridge has been like everybody else eating turkey every single day. They got a DQ ice cream, ice cream cake for dessert. <laughs> they're, they're all set. Mm-hmm. And... But Sherman, he takes a look at what Poe has done here. He said, we examined his lines of fortifications, which were wonderful production for such a short time allowed in their selection of ground and construction of work. It seemed to me they were very impregnable. Because of that, Poe actually goes on to be with Sherman during the Atlanta campaign and the March to the Sea as well. So that does, that's a positive thing for Poe that happens. Um, but yeah, Sherman shows up and he has some level of pissed off about this. That he's like, what did you do? Like what? Well, I mean, he's you know he's gonna get there, and you know he um he's gonna he's gonna realize Longstreet's gone. He's gonna get there, and yep. just like a Friday night, no one calls, just sitting around waiting around, and he's gonna end up leaving Gordon Granger's brigade back in Knoxville, yep. and he's gonna end up going back to Grant just for the f of it. He's gonna send John Burnside's chief of staff named John Park to go try to find him, go look in the woods, go find Longstreet. Doesn't really go anywhere, but um the thing about it though, going back to the citizens of Knoxville real quick, and kind of it, it was it was a siege with maybe a small s, but the thing about it though was after Longstreet did leave, that town of Knoxville was a complete mess. Mm-hmm. Many of those houses and businesses were completely destroyed during the yeah. siege. The streets were filled with homeless and hungry citizens. A lot of Southern sympathizers looking around, they lost everything. They were on looking for help. The town was also picked clean by the soldiers too. And the citizens end up being left cold and hungry, and miserable. And what does it do? It, it also destroys that social structure in Knoxville we talked about. They're all homeless now. So yeah. And to and it's no surprise if you've been in Knoxville. 
there's not a lot of Civil War stuff there. No, it's almost not. like they just it's almost like they decide to not re, not remember it. There's a couple of things, but I think because that experience they had, they for the most part just decided just to move on from it, yeah. rebuild, and just and that's not really care about it, you know. Yeah, and I I think too because it was so union leaning as well. It's weird that there's no civil, there's not much to do with the civil war there, and it is probably like they kind of like oh well whatever we just want to forget about it sort of thing, right? No, no, and you, you know talk about Burns. So you talked at the very beginning about a kind of like a redemption for him. But say yeah. what you will about him, but his actions at Knoxville did keep those fifteen or so thousand rebels from staying with Braxton Bragg, right? Guys who he clearly could have used the Battle of Chattanooga. Yep. So if, if so, if anything, if you think about it, Burnside's actions were somewhat of a redemption tour. To your point that you mentioned earlier, yep. is because you know what happens after Burnside's goes to Knoxville, they never lose East Tennessee again. They maintain yep. control for the rest of the war from that. So, yep. so I think he was smart. I think he was smart to stay where he did, even if it was partially for him himself to feel better about after Fredericksburg. But two, you know, you have this whole thing that you. You know, the only I think the only reason that Longstreet is being ousted, you know, from from Chattanooga, you know, Chickamauga is is because of this rivalry he has with Bragg, that Bragg was very threatened by him. But but two, I think Longstreet did expect to get command there. You know, he's thinking, well, they're making me haul my ass all the way out here. Like what what do they want me to do? You know, it's not Longstreet's finest moment in the Civil War. And when you think about it, when it comes to Chickamauga, you know, Longstreet is given the credit for that breakthrough. But the guy who actually sees the breakthrough and leads the charge is John Bellhood. And I oh, think no and I think he needs a little bit more I don't I don't know if I want to say credit, but just you don't hear his name as much when it comes to the breakthrough at, at Chickamauga. But they want Longstreet with this is what he does better than anybody is he blames he likes oh, to point the fingers. Big time, right? yeah. So, like he blames so, so, Buckner for I couldn't get to where I need to be because Buckner gave me bad maps. Well, I mean, he as much as Burnside looks good, Longstreet looks bad. He blames everyone for this failure. Everybody. He's gonna fire Lafayette McClaws yep. for the for failure of Fort Saunders. He's gonna get rid of him. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Buckner. He's going to court martial his brigade guys, Jerome Robertson and Evander Law from Gettysburg people. Um, who are under Mike and Jenkins. So he's going to he's going to blame just about everybody. And he actually tried to resign from the army himself after this, but they, they said no. He actually tried to give it the yeah. old quit. He, you know, and you know, all, all Pete got in this campaign really, for the most part, was spending a cold and shitty winter in Tennessee with little supplies. Before he does return to Virginia with Lee in the spring of 1864. Yeah. So his winter vacation break was not very good. But a lot of it was self-inflicted. But what to mention we mentioned before when he was back at Chickamauga and Chattanooga was the, the, his fire been burning for a while. He, you know, he had some success with the breakthrough at Chickamauga. But he, I have to think he he still had a flame on his ass from Gettysburg not too oh. years before that. He did, and so he, he gets sent to West, thinking this is my chance to redeem myself. Like a lot of a lot of these people do, yeah. He gets overshadowed by guys like Hood, right? And yep. Chickam Chickamauga, even though it's really his breakthrough. I mean, it is Longstreet's breakthrough, mm -hmm. but that gives him that that feeling of superiority. He jumps in with the crowd, with the rest of them, trying to blame Bragg for everything because yep. he's thinking I can probably get this army of Tennessee. And Bragg, and I don't know if it's a stroke of genius or just stroke of luck, he gets Jefferson Davis to get rid of him. Well, I think it's because away. of that friendship that he has with Davis, and Davis probably doesn't know Longstreet as well as what he knows Bragg and Davis. We've seen with Bragg, you know, this is not the first time his subordinates have have jumped 
you know, against him. It happened after Stones River as well, where they were and like, 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 and like so many of these battles, right? That the losing team loses it because they miss that one division, maybe one exactly. division. It's like and a, so, it's so, like Carter L. Stevenson, wasn't wasn't it Carter L. Stevenson, right? S- like Steven, getting Stevenson pulled from Stones whole, River to go to Vicksburg. A whole bunch. You could talk about the second day at Gettysburg yeah. with with, uh, with that whole thing with Anderson and, and Longstreet, but you you end up in a situation where because of all the politics and the the whining, you're going to have Braxton Brad cut off his nose, his nose despite his face, which he's going to cost him Chattanooga yep. by sending Longstreet across because he, he I mean, who knows, say he would have wanted him with him, but he could have used him. Longstreet goes and marches in a bad situation, low supplies, bad terrain, the whole deal, bad weather, mm-hmm. just a failed siege. He get his butts handed to him by like Ambrose Burnside of all. People, of, of all, yeah. Who? Right? It's funny. Burnside was who he was going up against at Fredericksburg. Burnside was the one throwing these the assault after assault after assault after Mary's Heights. And what was it that E.P. Alexander said about Mary's Heights? Chicken wouldn't survive when we open up on that. Mm-hmm. So really, it was a bad decision on many many people. And this is one of those things we've talked about in a lot of these episodes. Is sometimes the egos of men can really come back and haunt you. And That's get what it is. Killed. It's totally and, like when you think about it's totally a mean girl situation here. It's totally like high school girl drama happening that is causing this. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. So it's not exactly, it's not black and white, but it's easy to make the case, at least conception in your head, that this this march to Knoxville may have cost Chattanooga, right? Mm-hmm. It certainly didn't get you to Knoxville. Even if they got Knoxville, then what, right? They, they're going to have to send someone that are halted. He ends up leaving, getting chased out of there. It forces Sherman to take 25,000 guys west to go to Knoxville, which is going to weaken the Union Army under Grant. Yeah. And it kind of goes and goes and goes. So at the end of the day, this is kind of a foul ball by the Confederacy. They probably like to do this one over. Oh, I think, I think this is you know, <laughs> this is Knoxville would probably be the thing they would like. If, can we do that again, please? Because, I mean, who knows if Sammy Bragg was concerned about Burnside's presence in Knoxville while he was before Chickamauga started. So there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. But at some point he wins Chickamauga. He's going to siege Chattanooga realistically. Do you really need to send Longstreet? Do you really need to do that at that point? Probably yeah, not. Exactly. Yeah. It just seems like such a, I don't know, but you know, the other thing that happens too, from this, the other repercussion is the fact that because John, because James Longstreet, is going to the Western Theater. John Bell Hood is the one that ends up being in command of the Army of Tennessee eventually. Because all, Hood, yeah. Hood gets stuck back there because of his wounds. He can't go with with Longstreet to Knoxville because of that, because he's lost his leg. And, you know, less than a year later, he's in command of Army of Tennessee. A year after the Battle of Fort Sanders, the Battle of Spring Hill is going to be fought. And then a day later, Battle of Franklin is going to be fought under the command of John Bill Hood. So you look at the repercussions this has of Longstreet going to the Western Theater and what happens. It all, it all trickles down. It all leaves one into the other. Yeah. So the it's other, interesting, to yeah, say the least. The other thing to mention before we wrap up is two of kind of the, the MVPs of this for the Union. Sanders... And Poe. Well, I think I think Orlando Poe was a slam dunk. I mean, he was. Oh yeah. But he, he also. Is. But but William Sanders giving up his life to protect him to help build those those that fortifications is huge. But certainly Orlando Poe is the guy you really have to give credit to because if he doesn't build that now, admittedly, Burnside's only got five thousand guys. Longstreet's yep. got fifteen to seventeen thousand, so mm-hmm. it could have rolled right through him. 
So yep. that goes to show how important breastworks are and how important they were. And those those those, those breastworks were real. They were spectacular, Mary. They Ooh. really, really were. <laughs> but they it, it certainly saved a lot of lives and won that battle. So I it, would say Orlando Post, certainly. Yeah, and I would say Sanders as well. And I've got a quote here that Poe said about Sanders. Um, he said, the hours in which to work that the gallant conduct of our cavalry secured for us were worth to us a thousand men each every spadeful of earth turned while saunders was fighting aided in making our position secure and he had determined to sacrifice himself if necessary for the safety of the rest of the army the fort in front of which he fell was immediately named after him in commemoration of the service rendered right there saunders is definitely very deserving of that kind of that mvp but as you said too, Poe is definitely up there with him. And Poe goes on to, you know, Sherman recognizes what he has done and he goes on to be part of the March to the Sea. But Poe is not exactly humble about this victory and what he's done. So he writes to his wife. Fort Saunders was had a bloody baptism. I am, as the engineer officer who constructed all these works, the lion of the hour. For my own part, I have felt much encouraged since the assault of Sunday morning, for our success was so signal that it led me to hope everything. What a brilliant page it will make in the history of the war. And my ditch digging saved Knoxville. My praises are in every man's mouth, and if I do say it myself, I have done my whole duty mentally and physically, and have established my reputation as an engineer upon the mean basis. And that's Poe writing to his wife. Well, he's a humble fellow. Very. No question about say, that. He's about no as humble as George McClellan was, I think, in writing certainly to his was, wife. He was. definitely so, was. So he, but he, you know what, though? He, give him credit. He deserves a victory lap in this He fight. does. He's he absolutely, absolutely right. does. He him really and does. him and Saunders both are, are why this has happened. But, too, I think this is a bit of a redemption for Burnside. Burnside, see, Burnside trusts in these guys. You know, what he asked Saunders to do is, you know, Saunders ends up getting killed. Because if Burnside says, you need to buy us time, and Saunders steps right up and says, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to fucking do that for you. And Poe and his brilliance, you know, there's a battle uh, soon after um, Burnside takes Knoxville called um, uh, some Blue Springs. And Poe had actually done a lot of recon work in order to secure that victory for the Union, which drives more of the Confederates back into Virginia after that. Yep. At the end of the day, it's a pretty... It's a pretty strong effort it goes to show how strong defensive battling can be yeah. so what's next Mary? so next we are staying in the western theater we are going to be talking nashville so the final battle of nashville which is kind of our follow-up to our episodes about franklin which we did last year at this time and spring spring hill which we did last week so that will be our next episode and then after that we it's kind of to be determined what we're going to be doing but we'll we will announce those episodes soon we are going to be taking the weekend of december the 11th off from both episodes and facebook live so right. sorry y'all that we're not going to be around but we will be back with you on december 17th with nashville which that's when that episode will drop so two weeks from this episode dropping nashville will drop we are very excited to announce that kent masterson brown author of retreat from gettysburg will be joining us on wednesday december the 29th at 6 p.m for our book club discussion if yep. you want to sign up for that info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com it's via zoom 6 p.m eastern time we will send you an invite to that so thank you to kent masterson brown for being able to join us for that um our next round table will but he's be... a big right you better you better behave yourself with him Mary. oh he's, he's, a, I, he's a big time guy i always behave myself what are you talking about you better, you better wash that potty mouth, and soapy <laughs> mouth for this one anyways so we are very excited that he is going to be joining us for that episode and then we will have our round table as usual in december too 
Excellent. So a lot of fun things coming down the pike. We're going to kick back and chill in Tennessee for a while and just enjoy the sights, just get ready for Nashville, which is coming up down the road. So yeah. any final words from you, Finn Giroux? Well, thank you as always for bringing it. You are the most awesome Civil War nerd I know. And thank you to our listeners as well for your support these last 66 episodes. 66. Who the heck would have thought we'd make yeah. it a 66? But it's a lot of fun. So all right, off we go as we... Look in the rearview mirror. We watch Knoxville disappear further and further from view as Knoxville is gone and Nashville is on the horizon. So off we go. So again, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you on our live on Saturday. We will talk to you, Mary, as soon as possible. Next time we get a chance, look forward to our next conversation as we talk about whatever is on our mind. Yep. Same here. See you guys later. Have a great night. Peace out. See you, y'all. 